0: Up to us. Feel free to put it in there. Haley's going to make sure she responds to you. Anybody else in the house? Something that someone did to you that said, "Man, they love me." That was that was it. That's the one thing. No, that's all right. Okay. I've had so many things uh, over the course of my life. My memory's horrible, but uh, so I don't remember any one particular thing. But I do know that just the general day to day, right? The fact that my wife still gets up and, 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 and just takes care of all of our children—that <laughs> doesn't necessarily love me directly, but that, that shows the love that she has for our family. Uh, and she's just she's so great. She rarely ever complains about it, and uh, when she does, it's totally justified. So uh, I just appreciate every little act that she does that shows me, hey, that's, that's commitment, that's stick-to-itiveness, right? I'm here for the long haul, and I uh, want to do the best that she can, and so I, I appreciate that. That's the little thing, or the lots of little things that she does for me, uh, that she loves me and my kids, and it's awesome to have that kind of love, because I think... Correct me if I'm wrong later, not right now. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're all looking for love, right? In some form or fashion, I think we're all looking for it. And I, I, I think that I don't, I don't have to kind of guess at that because you look at the vast amount of money spent every year on Valentine's Day, right? It's like, man, somebody's putting some serious cash into making sure they know that somebody loves somebody else, right? If you look at the, the sheer number of profiles created and updated every year on dating sites, that should alone tell you, say, hey, man, people are really looking for love, or at least some degree of it. And you just look at the people uh, that have gone through multiple uh, dating partners or, or marriages or whatever in their, in their lifetime. And you look at, man, over and over and over again. It's like, they are looking for love. We're all looking for love because we want that in our lives. We want to be loved. We want to be admired, appreciated, and cared for, and we want to love others. Those same numbers that say, hey, I've spent thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on Valentine's Day, the amount of profiles, the, the amount of partners people go through tells us that not only are we looking for it, but we're having a hard time finding it, aren't we? Either we don't know what we're looking for, <laughs> or either we found it and we can't keep it, or there's a there's disconnect going on, right? There's just some, something happening, like something we know we need and want and desire, but not quite knowing what it looks like or knowing how to keep it, and so we have this little disconnect that goes on in our lives. Well, this morning, you can call me Cupid, because I'm going to shoot you right between the eyes, metaphorically, with what love we're looking for. With that exact thing that's like, man, what has I been missing in my life? I'm going to tell you what it is, and I'm going to tell you not only how to get it, but how to give it as well. So that's my gift to you this morning. So if you don't tell me, I don't give anything because I'm giving you something right here, right now. I love you so much. So I'm willing to give you this truth this morning. So let's share it together. We've been going on this series called New Birthmarks, right? We started last week. So if you're online watching, you saw us uh, going through this process. We kicked it off talking about when we commit to following Jesus. We commit to a daily life with him, right? That he gives us a new life. We are reborn, the the word says, which is an interesting concept, but I think it's so true that we are reborn. We are made new and we're marked from the inside out with this whole new mindset, right? This whole new heart, a whole new identity that allows us to think differently than we did before and act differently as a result. New birthmarks, right? Now, last week we said that one of those marks is this remarkable ability to have hope even in the most painful of sufferings, right? So when you go through life, you're talking about, man, life is really, really hard. As a believer, we have this incredible hope that says, yes, it is, but there's a reason, a purpose, and a plan for it, whereas people outside of Christ who aren't remade with this new life and new identity are just suffering and don't have a reason. This week, we're going to talk about the next birthmark. It's love. It's love, but it's a little bit different love, and we're going to get into that. We're going to use Paul's letter to the church in Romans in this list he gives us. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, and normally I give you a few different ones to look at. We're only looking at this one verse all morning, all right? We're going to really get into this thing. Romans 12, verse 9 says this. He says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Let love be genuine, and abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. We've got three imperatives here, three commands, three things that Paul says that we are to be remade as, we're going to be marked with when we're following God, right? He says, if you've committed to Christ, you're now marked, you're empowered with the Spirit of God, you are marked with this genuine love that abhors evil, we're going to talk about that word in a minute, and holds fast to what is good. Now, there's a whole lot packed in these two tiny little sentences. So let's unpack it a little bit together this morning. We start with that word, right? Love, that thing that everybody loves to talk about. So let's talk about that. There's lots of different ways to define that. As we just talked about a few weeks ago, we talked about brotherly love. Everybody remember that? Brotherly love, right? Maybe. uh, I don't remember the Greek word, but it's, it's Philadelphia, something like that, right? So brotherly love. We talked about how that's supposed to mark us as a community of Christ. But what Paul's using here is the Greek word agape. Now, If you've been in our church for a while, you know I love using that word. I love referencing it. I love going back to it because uh, it, it carries so much more of a rich meaning than what our usual just, oh, it's love, means. He's using this word agape, and if you haven't got it by now, it means this. It means God's love. Actually, it's a complete redefinition. There was no word for this until Jesus. All of human history, all of Greek history, we're using these words and languages. Nobody could explain what this meant until Jesus came and died on the cross, because this is encapsulated. This is what changed all of human history. This is what changed what love means. So Paul says this is agape, right? God's love shown to us by sending his son to die in our place, right? To allow us who are guilty, who are sentenced to death, who are sitting on death row to be set free and given new life, because that love loved us so much to not let us sit there and die anyway. It's a selfless, self-sacrificial love that chooses the unlovable. That's agape. That's the kind of love we desire. That's the kind of love we're really looking for, because we all know deep down in our hearts that we're pretty unlovable, right? Anybody really ready to admit that? I'll admit it. I'm, I'm totally unlovable, right? But yet God loves me anyway, enough to die for me. That's agape, right? It's the kind of love we desire. We are given it freely by God. And it's the kind we're marked by when we follow Christ. It's a wonderful thing. It's, it's life-giving. It's life-changing. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, be agape, right? Let love and just leave it. He says, let love be genuine, right? He clarifies. Now, I appreciate that. He clarifies what love is and what it, we should do with it because I'm a guy, right? And I I need, I thrive on specifics. (laughs) <laughs> don't tell me to go to the refrigerator and get the ketchup. You ever been there, ladies? You ever told your husband to go and get the, something out of the refrigerator? I don't care what it is. It could be on the very front of that fridge. You just tell me to go to the fridge and pick up X, Y, or Z. I'm not going to find it. I will not. I don't know what it is. It's something that I, I think there's a filter on the refrigerator that just has something. When I open it up, it's like, no, you're not going to find what you're looking for. And so every time my wife or, or someone else tells me, hey, when you go in the fridge and grab this, I can't find it to save my life. So I appreciate specifics because if you say, hey, go in the refrigerator and it's on the middle shelf in the back corner, right by the the mustard and the pickles and all that stuff, you tell me exactly where it's at, you tell me what brand it is, what the label looks like, then I'm probably, maybe still not going to find it, but I'll have a better shot at finding it, right? So I really appreciate, as a guy, specifics. Give me specifics. Tell me what's going on. So Paul gets specific here, right? but not with a word that many of us would choose, right? I think many of us, when you say, oh, let love be, what would you put after that, right? You put maybe let love be constant, right? Let it always be around. Let it be maybe earnest, right? Really mean it. Maybe let it be great, right? Let let love just be overflowing, maybe, would be another word you would use. But Paul doesn't use any of those words here. He says, let love be what? I just said it. What, What did he say? Genuine. Thank you. If you're online, you can say it along with me, too. I can't hear you, but that's all right. You can say it out loud. Let love be genuine. What a fascinating choice. And it's fascinating because of what this word really means. You look at genuine, and it's kind of vague in our language. But what the Greek word he uses uses here means is non-hypocritical. Free from hidden agenda. Non-hypocritical love. Now, I appreciate that clarification. Because I believe deep down... That's what we're really looking for. That's what most of us want. That's what we know we need, a love that is selfless and sacrificial, a love that doesn't have a hidden agenda, right? We want that. We want to love others that way. But I think sometimes between the, the head and the heart, there's just kind of just a little disconnect that kind of happens, right? Because our selfless love that we know we deep down need and want to give away to others can easily become selfish, can it? We start out, maybe, with good intentions, but our love can become more about what I need and less about what I can do for you in a hurry, can it? It does for me. And when that happens, nobody wants to own up to it, right? Nobody wants to say what's really going on behind the scenes, right? So we become the hypocrite. We play the part of, like, oh, yeah, I totally love you. But really what we're doing is loving ourselves, Right? We're trying to make our love still seem about others when really it's about fulfilling our own needs. And when you do that, when you start loving that way, you begin to play a game you can't win. You see, we'll do things when we're playing that game. When we're being the hypocrite. When we're not loving genuinely, we'll do things for ones we love that seem selfless and sacrificial, but deep down we're doing them only because so we can still be happy ourselves. We'll make excuses even. For those who hurt us, whether it be physically or emotionally or verbally or spiritually, whatever it is, not because we truly love them. Maybe we say that. Maybe we even have a vague feeling like, man, I still really love them. But normally it's because we're afraid of losing what little love they have for us. We'll even do things we don't like. Because we don't want to lose that approval and admiration from somebody even if they don't really, truly love us back. We'll, we'll work at that just to feel that little bit of love, right? Now, this can happen outside of the context of close relationships, too. So it's not just about being in partnership with somebody, like, well, I don't have anybody in my life, so I don't have this problem. But it can be out in just, in general, any relationship, any interaction we have, because we all want to be viewed as good and loving and caring, even if deep down we're really not, right? Right? Anybody here want to be viewed as callous and hard and ugly? No, of course not, right? You want to, everybody that you meet to say, man, they seemed like a good person, don't you? If we're honest, I am. I want to be known that. I, I love to be loved. I like to be liked. We want those things. So what happens is when we want that so much for ourselves that we can even do remarkable acts of self-sacrifice right, for the good of the community, for the good of the company we work for. We can work long hours. We can be out serving in the neighborhood. We can do all those things and say, man, they are so selfless. They are so, you know, concerned for others and love the community. They're willing to go above and beyond in the company and do whatever they need to do. And it's not really about loving others. It's really about look at me, even if we don't say that, and we won't. We won't. We won't say, hey, thanks. I appreciate that. You know, I've been working hard out there. You keep, keep piling that admiration on. I love that. No, we're going to say, no, 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 no. It's, I'm just doing this because I love doing it. But secretly, deep down, I'm like, oh, this feels so good, right? This feels so good. Thank you. Anyone can seem concerned for the poor and needy, right? They can even do things that seem like, man, that is phenomenal. Look how well they're taking care of those who are in need. But can really still be making it all about themselves. What Paul is saying here, he says, let love be genuine. He reminds it here, he's echoing the words of Christ. The one thing that Jesus hated more than anything, and we're going to talk about hate in a minute, but the one thing that Jesus hated more than anything was hypocrites. You look. He he had a problem with lots of different things, but the one big thing that stood out over and over and over again was people who said they were standing for one thing and really weren't standing for it at all. So Paul's echoing the commands of Jesus here. He's saying, if you're loving to get approval and admiration from others, or if you're only doing and saying things to keep someone happy because they're afraid they'll leave you, stop. Stop pretending. Stop it. Stop living with a second rate knockoff brand of love that you'll never get satisfied with. Instead, be marked with and give away a love that is genuine. A love that is free from agenda. There's no hidden agenda, there's no selfish motives. It's not about fulfilling my need, it's not really about me at all. When we grasp an agape, genuine, no hidden and non-hypocritical love, what we've got is something that focuses first on Christ, right? Because that's what's going to set you free. Experiencing his love and his approval first is going to free you from needing the love and approval of others. We find our satisfaction in him, then we can take off that hypocritical mask and love others without having it be about us. Now, that's just the beginning, though. Paul keeps going because he says that if you're going to love, if you're marked with a love that's genuine, you're going to do these next two things because this is three commands, right? He says, "Let, let your love be genuine, and then do the second thing, abhor what is evil, and then the third thing, cling to or hold fast to what is good. I love these two words. (laughs) because <laughs> I love words just in general, so I love looking into what they mean. He uses abhor. Anybody used abhor this past week? <laughs> Nobody's used that word. No, it's not there. You're not using it in your daily language. He uses abhor and hold fast. Now, abhor is an incredible word. It means to hate, but not just hate. It's like, man, I hate X, Y, and Z, right? It doesn't matter, you know. That's, just a, that's one where we throw around a lot. What abhor means, is means to hate, but it also means to utterly detest, to be repulsed, right? To shrink back from in horror. What a powerful word. You might, I mean, when you start using it, I don't know what you'd be abhorred by, but maybe there's something in your life that, just, that just causes you to just kind of shrink back, like, oh, whatever that is, I don't know. He says abhor. And then he says, hold fast. He says, hold fast means to, to glue, to unite, to form this, this intimate connection. He actually uses the same Greek word uh, later in another letter talking about sexual union. So you've got to imagine how close he's talking about getting here, right? That's how hold fast he's talking about. In medical language, it was used to describe how to, how to bind a wound, right? How to, how to wrap it so tight that it's inseparable, right? That it brings it back together. You see, we who are given new life in Christ are to be repulsed, to be utterly detest. We are to hate what? What does it say? Abhor what is? Yeah, a couple of you remember it. Great. Evil, right? Abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. Now, <clears throat> before we can get to that, we're going we're to define some, some, top, some, some definitions here of good and evil. But he says you're going to abhor what is evil. Then you're going to be bound together. You're going to be pressed up beside so close, (laughs) so close you can't even squeeze anything between us. What? What are we going to be clinging to? Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is what? Good. Thank you. All right. There you go. Good. You got it online. I know you got it before everybody else in here did. Good. Right? Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So let's think about that for a minute. You're not going to answer this out loud. Just think about this in your question. What is good and what is evil? What is good and what is evil? Now, if I asked that and legitimately took time to walk through, and we get the microphone back out and we walked around, from every person in this room, we would have a different definition, or at least a different example of a definition of that, right? If you're online and you're thinking, man, what is good, what is evil? Again, there's a multitude of answers out there. Because in our society, those two things, good and evil, good and bad, those things have become completely subjective, determining on me, right? What I think is good and what I think is evil. What's considered good and evil has probably changed in our culture from the time you stepped in this morning, right? It's just constantly, seemingly evolving and changing and growing and and just, just going back and forth. But here's the inconvenient truth that everybody wants to avoid, Good and bad, good and evil, aren't subjective. We don't get to define them. Liking something or something that becomes culturally acceptable does not make it good. Or hating something or something that falls out of favor in society does not make it evil. See, good and evil exist as realities outside of ourselves. They're totally objective. And the reason they're objective is because there's a God that is outside ourselves, and he has made himself known in and through Jesus in Scripture. He has revealed truth to us, right? He set creation in order. He made it all work together for a purpose and a plan or reason. He has set it in place and he declared what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad. John Piper once said that the good and the true and the right and the beautiful have objective foundation. You can't change it, it is what it is. Objective foundation in God and in his self revelation, Jesus. You see, if you take Jesus out of the equation, if you take the historical reality of the Christ that came literally from Mary's womb and then lived and died on the cross and then rose again, the historical real person, not just some figure, not just some spirit floating around, a real living, breathing person, God in flesh, you take him out of the equation, then good and evil is subjective. Then it is what we make it. It is up to us to define it. And when that happens, might makes right when it's not when there's no objective good and evil no good and bad that is defined by a holy god then whatever we say goes and whoever's strongest gets to make the rules whoever's in power gets to decide but thank god thank you god that's not the case if that's the case if that was the case then we got a problem but it's not it's not god has given us a definition he has set the standard and because of this objective standard revealed to us by this holy god the worker In China today, right? The Jew in 1940s Germany, the Christian prisoner in ancient Rome, can say to the dictator, they can say to the oppressor, what you're doing is wrong categorically, objectively, and your power does not make it right. There is a God above you to those in power, right? You cannot dictate or legislate an objective reality. Might does not make right. A right to rule does not exist. <laughs> it's only about what God has given us. God decides what is good and what is bad. Now, for those online or those in-house, maybe you're, if you grew up in our culture and our society, maybe you're not even sure about, about what you know, Jesus and understanding what this means, then this is radically different than how we live our lives. Right? It's radically different than how you might be living your life this morning, that you've been used to saying, well, whatever culture says is good is good, whatever is bad is bad. Well, that's changed about a thousand times in the past 50 years. But What I'm telling you this morning is that right and wrong, good and bad, is an objective standard that God sets. And he alone. I don't get to change it. And what happens when you accept that, it's really, it's really odd. You think, oh, that's so restrictive. It's actually freeing. Because when you start to live your, way, your life that way, you can actually go from barely surviving to thriving when we live by those definitions. And when we strive to live that way, when we're holding fast to the good, when we're, we're abhorring, utterly detesting the evil, we're going to bump up things that sound contradictory on the surface. Because I'm going to tell you something that probably you're not going to hear in many other places. I guarantee you it's not on a Valentine's Day card. Genuine love hates. Genuine love hates. Now the question we should ask is, how can a God that loves... Hate. Or how can a people that are supposed to love others hate? Now, in a perfect world, that wouldn't make any sense. It wouldn't. But do we live in a perfect world? No. I don't think anybody here is blind enough or or optimistic enough to say, oh, yeah, our our world is great. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not. We don't live in a perfect world. In a world like ours, hate is necessary. Hate's necessary. And hate's necessary because what does evil do? Just throw it out there. What does evil do? What's, what's your first inclination? Say evil is bad because it does what? <laughs> Destroys. Breaks down. Kills. All these things. It hurts others, doesn't it? God hates evil. And he does. You can read through it. I'm not going to sugarcoat what the word says. God hates he hates evil because it does what? It steals, it kills, it destroys us. It splits families apart. Orphans and widows are there because of evil, most often more often than not. It oppresses the weak and the innocent and protects the guilty and the powerful. It uses concern for others to control others. It builds up fear and offers a false hope. God has to hate evil. It's not even a contradiction at this point. When you look at evil through that lens, if God doesn't hate evil, then his love is meaningless. And so it has to be for us as well. Because you can't claim, you cannot claim to love people and coddle evil. cannot happen. It cannot happen. If you really love somebody, I mean really love them, not just love them because it makes you feel good, but if I mean you really, truly love them, you will do whatever it takes to eradicate, not just, not just say, oh, just I hope you're not doing the bad thing, completely whatever you can do to eradicate evil from their lives. You'll want what's best for them and not simply want to make them happy or make you happy. You'll see drug and alcohol addiction as an evil that needs to be eradicated, not just something that says, well, I hope you don't drink too much this weekend, sweetie. That's something that's destroying somebody. That's evil. Hate it. Detest it. Abhor it. Because when you're doing that, you're really loving them. The genuine love that hates evil and holds fast, clings to, What is good is what drove Jesus to the cross for us. He cherished you enough that He died in your place to eradicate the evil in your heart. And He rose from the dead to empower you to live for the goodness of God. Because the scary truth is, we're all evil, we're all wicked. We're all unworthy and unholy, and there's nothing good I can do to cover up for that. It's not a balancing of the scales. It's lopsided, and I'm not going to be able to take enough off my plate to be good enough. But Jesus' death on the cross wipes it all clean. You can't do it, but he did. Now, that's love. That's love that fought and died for you and me. So we who follow Christ should be marked, empowered with the Spirit of God, with a genuine love, no hidden agenda, that abhors evil and clings fast to what is good. So how do we practically live that out? That's good to know, right? Appreciate that, Pastor. But how do you actually do it? One, you got to, got to, got to, got to. You have to be discerning in your life. What does that mean? You see, Paul's assuming here that the believers he's writing to knows what God has determined to be good and bad. He's not just saying, hey, love, let love be genuine, you know, abhor what is evil, cling fast, hold fast to what is good. You have to know what is good and bad. You have to know what God likes and doesn't like, right? You have to. There's a reason when God was on the mountain with Moses that he told him to write down the commandments. There's a reason that everybody who followed Jesus, uh, or most, we've got the big four accounts, but everybody around them was like, man, we got to write down what this dude's saying because this is important stuff we need to capture. We need to get it down so that people can know, so that I can remember what he said. So I won't forget because I need to know what is right and is good and is holy. And he's giving me what I need to survive, not only to survive, but to thrive in my life. And if I just throw it away, if I forget it, then I'm going to lose that thing that is most precious. I'm going to lose the truth. And so he said, write it down, right? It's all there to read, to absorb, to, to, so that whenever someone comes in your life that's doing something that is evil, because evil is not always up front. Evil is always murder. Sometimes evil's lying. And can you t- always tell a lie from the truth? Anybody here carrying carry around a lie detector test with them? They got one of those polygraphs? I need some for my kids if you've got one. I'll, I'll, I'll borrow it from you. I can't. Sometimes lying and, and evil is deceptive by nature. So how do you know the good with the bad? You've got to go to the truth. And thank God it's written down. <laughs> and thank God you don't have to get it from me. Right? If you come here and you get this little bit, you get 30 minutes of truth. And then you're going to go outside in the world and you're going to get about, I don't know how many other many hours are in the week, but you're going to get a lot more lies than truth. So you got to go back to the word, you gotta go back to what's written down, and you got to remember because when somebody comes and speaks nonsense into your life and starts telling you all these things that are supposed to the truth, or someone comes into your life and tells you that they love you, but they're doing stuff that's not loving, then you'll know that's discernment. You'll know what's good and right and true and what's not. And you say, That doesn't sound right. <laughs> but let me go back and check. We'll talk about it. You can go find out for yourself. We can identify the dangerous attitudes and behaviors of the heart. Because love, contrary to popular belief, that probably is on a Valentine's Day card somewhere, love shouldn't be blind. It is sometimes. It shouldn't be. Two, there's only two. I only got two examples this week. First, be discerning in your relationships, and in your life in general. Go back to God's truth, not my truth, not your truth, not the other, the other people's truth, God's truth, defining good and evil. Second, genuine love, when you're living this out, genuine love is going to ask, what is the best for this person? Let me clarify that, because we don't ask this question, I think, often. What is the best for this person? Because what is best for them isn't always what's going to make them happy. Any good parent has been there. Maybe even a bad parent's been there. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you're just parenting in general. You've been in this situation where you've said, what's best for them? And you know that when the answer comes up, you're going to say, well, no, they're not going to like that. <laughs> they're not going to like the fact that I'm going to tell them they can't eat another cookie. right? They're not going to like the fact that I'm going to tell them they've got to go to bed. They're not going to like these things. It's not going to make them happy, but it's not about making them happy. It's about what's best. Genuine love will ask, "What is best for this person?" What we find is, sometimes the most loving thing we can say to somebody is "No." I don't mean flippantly. I don't mean go around and saying when somebody comes up to you and asks a genuine question of like, "Oh, I, can I have?" no. Just forget it. No, 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 don't don't. I don't mean that I mean genuinely saying, "Is this what's best for this person?" If knows the answer, then knows what you're going to get." Now, what's often the best thing is the hardest thing. And choosing to love like this is often just as painful for you as it is for them. That's not just parent-child. That's your, your love relationships from your mom, your dad, your grandparents, your, your friends, your family, people who say you're your friends but not really your friends. All those relationships, everything out there, all those things, what is often best for them is the hardest thing, and it's going to be hard for you too. It's much easier to say, sure, I'll do it. Or sure we can go, or sure I'll buy that, or sure we'll do this, or whatever. It's so it's easier to say yes than to say no, for most of us. A few practical examples: love like this, genuine love, <laughs> love like this won't let the child have the candy bar when they're throwing the fit, but it will celebrate when they share. Love like this won't let the teenager go to to that party, <laughs> right? but will throw a party when they make good decisions. Love like this won't live in the same house with a destructive, abusive person, but will stand with open arms ready to reconcile if that person is committed to and has demonstrated change. That's a genuine love that abhors what is evil and clings to what is good. That's the love that we, who follow Christ, should be marked with. I'm not going to pretend this morning that loving Lot like that's easy, which is why you won't find it in a Hallmark movie <laughs> or in a card or in a bouquet of flowers. But if you're tired of pretending, if you're tired of being afraid to lose the little love you found, or tired of looking for love that doesn't ultimately satisfy, then it's time to stop talking about it and do something about it. And so if you're seeking this morning, if you don't know Christ and haven't made a commitment to follow him, and you're on the outside a little bit, and you're looking in, and you're like, well, I don't know, I kind of like that, but I don't like parts of it. That's okay. But you're listening, and you're thinking, man, whether I like it or not, I need it. Then this morning, you're going to get to make a choice to follow Jesus because he's already died for you he's already loved you enough to die on the cross for you and he's just reaching out and saying right here right now literally he's, he's not just in, in space floating around his spirit is here with you wherever you're at in person or online and saying I'm ready I'm ready to love you who's unlovable I'm ready to step in and take those things that are, that are prison It's imprisoning you the drug addiction the alcohol addiction the pain that you've got over loneliness the the, the the all the things that are just just burying you all the need for admiration for others that you continually seek out, all the abuse you've taken, all those things, I'm ready to just completely eradicate them. I'm ready to love you with a love that is only from God. If you're ready to love like that or be loved like that and then love like that with others, we're going to give you a chance to do that in just a minute. Two for believers. A famous first-century rabbi in Israel named uh, Akiva he was shepherding a flock, um, again, first century, a long time ago, right? And he noticed there was this tiny, 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 tiny stream coming down this hillside, and it was dripping into this just massive boulder. And that rock where, where the water was dripping had just had this deep impression because it had been dripping there for centuries, right? And just this deep little hollowed out space in this big, giant stone. And Akiva commented, he said, if, if mere water Can do this to hard rock. How much more can God's Word carve away into my heart of flesh? You see, the slow but steady impact of each droplet year after year had completely reformed this stone. And the same is true of you and me when we routinely open up God's Word and let His Spirit pour one drip at a time over our hearts. I'd encourage you this week to take, read, and pray over your life, Romans 12, verse 9. We do this every week. i give you something to take home because I know, I know when you leave here, your life is going to be full of things that are going to distract you and pull you out 5,000 different directions. And, and, and you're going to tell you, hey, read your Bible every day. And you're going to say, well, I tried this week, Pastor, but I was so busy. I didn't get around to it. But take, if you, I want you to do all those things. But if you don't do anything else, take Romans 12, 9. I've said it like 5,000 times this morning already. Take it, read it, put it somewhere, pray it. Say, dear Lord, let my love be genuine. Let me abhor, let me utterly detest, let me hate the evil things in my life and in the lives of others that are destroying others in my life and let me hold fast to you. Let me hold fast to the only good thing I know. Read it, absorb it, pray. It's not that dripping water. It's gonna completely reshape. It takes time. But don't say, oh, no, not me, not my heart. I don't want this. Let it drip. Let it change you. Next, I want you to put that love in motion. So for those in-house, Miss Julie's been so fantastic. She's got some goodies for us in the uh, cafe. So I want to encourage you, one, take one, right? Take one for yourself and don't feel guilty about it, right? Eat it. Enjoy it. Savor it. Appreciate the good things that God has given us uh, and Miss Julie's generosity. And also, I want you to at least take one, all right, at least one, and give to somebody either today or tomorrow, this week. I'm not sure how long they'll last, so get to them soon, right? Uh, Take it to somebody you know who needs love today. There is no shortage of people. No shortage. If you're thinking, I can't think of anybody, I'll give you some names, right? I'll say, hey, drop this off on so-and-so's doorstep. I'll give you the address. You don't have to talk to them. Just kind of drop it off and walk off, right? Just give it away. Selflessly give it away. Genuinely love. No hidden agenda. With a love like that this Valentine's Day. One last thing before we go. We're going to pray. I want to recommend uh, a book. I, try, I haven't done this often. I need to do more because I, I need to be better about it. But it's called uh, Love Like That. It's by Dr. Les Parrott. He's a psychologist out in Seattle, or at least he was. I'm not sure where they're at now. Uh, he and his wife, uh, Les and Leslie, I know it's weird, they, uh, ha, they got married, and they're both psychologists, and they both do love things. So it's just it's had to be God-ordained. At any rate, so uh, they, he wrote this book. It's Five Relationships, uh, Relationship Secrets from Jesus. It's just very simple. It's not not hard read, uh, but it does reveal some of the things we talked about today and goes a lot deeper than I can because I don't have time. And so uh, I would encourage you, if you um, would like to borrow it, that's totally fine, uh, but it's also on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Love like that, Dr. Les Parrott. Feel free to look it up. Uh, give it away, keep it for yourself, whatever you want to do with it, do both. (laughs) Uh, But it's a good resource that goes beyond what I'm giving you this morning that should help go a little bit deeper. All right, so I encourage you to do that. All right, so let's go into prayer this morning. With all hands bowed, all eyes shut. For those of you who are seeking, we talked about we're going to give you a chance to respond. This is your chance to respond, all right? This is why we're here. This is why I'm here. (laughs) It's communicating this truth to you that a God who loves and knows everything you have done, died for you, and is reaching out to you this morning, saying, follow me. I rose from the grave, not just to to do it because it was a fun thing to do, because I want you to be empowered, to live differently, to be reborn into a new life. I'm giving it away freely. All you got to do is say yes and follow him. If that's you this morning and you're ready to commit to that relationship, not just do, we're not doing religion. It's about committing to him a daily relationship, a praying, talking, listening to him. You start by saying this prayer. It's just words. You're communicating to him in your own way. I'm going to say some words. I want to encourage you to say words like this. You don't have to repeat after me or anything crazy. Just things that are going to generally come from your heart to him. You say, Jesus, I'm sorry first. I've done things that have hurt others. I've had others hurt me, and I've experienced a love that is more selfish than selfless. It's hard to admit, but I have. And Lord, I want to accept this new life. Lord, I want to be loved with Your love, love that it has no hidden agenda, that is completely selfless and self-sacrificial. Lord, I need that in my life. Thank you for dying for me, Lord, and being rose again. Or to new life so that I could have this new life this morning. Help me to go and, and read about you and study you and listen to you and talk to you every day. To have my heart shaped to look like you. If that's you this morning and you said that prayer or prayer like it for the first time. I want to encourage you, if you're in-house, you can slip your hand up. I'm not going to point you out or anything. That's why all heads are bowed. So if you slip your hand up, I will, I'm the only one who's going to know it, so I can just follow up with you and tell you what happens next. If you're online, make sure you like, love, or comment we're going to post, because I want to follow up with you, too. Don't think just because you're not here, you don't count. All right? Even if you're hiding in the shadows, you can make a commitment today. Amen. Amen. For believers this morning, and for all of us as we get ready to wrap it up, let's pray this together. Lord, I pray that as a church, faith church here in Palo God, and believers all over, if they're watching online, or wherever they're at, God, Lord, I pray that you have called us and you continue to call us day after day to a love that is genuine. First, I pray, Lord, that you remind us each day of, God, of that love in our lives, of how you hate our evil. And, God, that you died for it and that you have washed us clean of it, so, God, that we are powered to live to new life in you, that we don't forget that precious gift that we have in you, Jesus. Lord, and I pray, Lord, that that is our call, our anthem this week, that our love to others be just as genuine with no hidden agenda, not hypocritical just loving with your love. God, And as we do that, I pray that we abhor, God, we utterly detest the things that are destroying the lives of others around us that we're not content on sitting back and watching on the sidelines and saying, oh, I love you, but I'm not willing to get into the mess, but we're willing to dive headfirst into the, just the destructive things in others' lives, God, uh, surrounded by the support of each other as we, as we get in and try to do our best to love others through the pain and the mess. As we do that, Father, I pray that we cling to your goodness. We cling to each other, God, that we're not living isolated lives spiritually, but that we're calling each other out in a, in a wholehearted devotion to you to cling to the good so that whenever we stand against Stephen, we can stand firm on you, on your love. Let us love like that this week, this Valentine's Day, God, this whole week, this whole life, everything, God. Let it be for you and about you, loving you and loving others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. All right, awesome. Sweet. So for those of you online, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Make sure you share this post with somebody, right? If you're on Facebook or, or YouTube, you can share the link. Uh, make sure you, even if it's not live, you can, they can still go back and watch it later. Share it with somebody you know who needs some love this morning. Uh, so make sure you do that. Make sure you check us out Thursday, 630 on Facebook for our prayer time. Uh, we highly encourage that and all our content across our social media all week. We're on TikTok, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're all over the place. So make sure you're checking us out there, sharing it, and uh,